Hello and welcome to the Sacred City Life Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean, and this podcast is all about following Jesus in the everyday, normal rhythms of life. And on the podcast, I got all the guys with me. Guys, would you introduce yourself? Rob first. Oh, this is Rob Spikester, Pastor of Discipleship. Uh-oh. Kevin Kenor, Pastoral Assistant. Alex Tay, Sacred City Youth Director. That's right. I had to see Alex always likes to jump in there first, yeah. you know, so I had to just mix it up. Oh, just mix it up. There you go. <laughs> so we are jumping back into our series that we're doing right now called Five Lies Christian Parents Believe. Um, if you remember, number one was our kids' salvation is just a flip of the coin. Um, and no, we said no. Christians are called to stand on the promises of God and expect God to save their children. Number two was education is just an open-handed issue. We said no, education is actually a subset of discipleship. Uh, lie number three was obedience is the goal of parenting. Uh, and that the truth is actually we want our kids, we have a, a higher goal than just obedience. We want our kids to actually love God and yeah. love the standard, yeah. right? So we want them to love, we want them to obey. And lie number four is today, and we're calling this the lie of the noble savage. The lie of the noble savage. Now, those are two words you probably, unless you've read some philosophy or some, you know, maybe you've heard of this in literary circles or, or you know, movie critiques and stuff. So we don't see those words too, together too often. The noble savage or the lie of the noble savage. So... Rob, would you read that definition there for us? Yeah. What, what here, that is? Here it goes. The, the definition um, is the noble savage is an idealized concept of uncivilized man who symbolizes the innate goodness of one not exposed to the corrupting influences of civilization. Okay. So this idea was really, it's been around for a long time, but it was popularized in the works of Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Now, he was an 18th century philosopher. Um, overall, I'm going to, well, I, I don't want to give, give away my case, but he was not a great guy, okay? Um, his political philosophy influenced the progress of the Age of Enlightenment through Europe, as well as aspects of the French Revolution. And I don't have time to get into that, but the French Revolution, Revolution happened a couple years after our, our revolution, and, um, and it was way bloodier. It was godless, it, and it ended with um, Napoleon as a dictator, and it, it was an co- abject failure, yeah. okay? Um, and it, it's really influenced a lot of modern political, economic, and educational thought. But here is the idea. The lie of the noble savage, or, or so we're calling it the lie of the noble savage. It's just this concept of the noble savage is mankind is born good. Mm-hmm. Well, then we, we, we look around and we say, well, People are not good. We know they, they lie, steal, cheat. So what's happened? Well, the problem is that our parents and our families and our schools and our churches and our society has actually corrupted us. Ooh. Okay? Now, the lie of the noble savage, we were just talking about before this podcast yeah. went on, because uh, I was trying to help people see how this is played out in popular fiction or popular film. If you remember Dances with Wolves, the movie Dance with Wolves, Kevin Costner. And when I was a kid, me and my brothers, we all wanted to be Native Americans. Yeah, you know, we wanted to run. Absolutely. That's what we wanted to be. We we literally went and found deer bones and we cleaned them and we made jewelry out of them and we loved Dancing with Wolves, Last of the Mohicans. These and the lie of the noble savage has actually uh, influenced the making of those movies. So when you watch those movies, 
Most of the time, you you hate your own culture, you hate white people and white culture, and you see the, the Native Americans as just this peaceful group of people that... Just trying to live off the land and and love each other and, you know, it was until we messed it up when we came in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, it looks like they were just born good and yep. they, they fit with nature and with the land and it's just all harmonious. And... Obviously, there was some truth to that, but there also there was also plenty of violence, plenty of rape, plenty of murder, plenty of uh, tribe on tribe warfare mm-hmm. to take land. Um, it was not an uh, an idealized uh, version like that. So this this lie of the noble savage is kind of like if you could drop a person off, or if a person could be born or something on an island, they would they would just flourish and they would have their own set of morals and they would be good and it was just everything would come natural to them. And, um, and that I'm going to, my, I'm going to say that's that this lie is kind of, uh, affected our society today in some negative ways. Now I'm going to get into it, but before I do, I want to compare and contrast, um, two confessions. Mm-hmm. So, and basically the first, one of the first, um, autobiographies that was ever written was, was by St. Augustine, he kind of invented the genre, uh, and he, ca- he just called it, uh, it's called Augustine's Confessions. confessions sure. And it's his story. That's basically what it is. It's his story about how he came to faith, and and he was a he was raised in a Catholic Christian home by from his by his mom, and uh, she prayed over him, and and she took him to church. But he just he was a little, he was a rebel, and specifically he loved sinning sexually, and he loved women. women. Um, and so he he wasn't converted until later on in his life. Okay, and then he became bishop and all kind of stuff, and it was it's a great story. But what happened was Jean Jacques Rousseau in the 18th century, so roughly 13, 1400 years after Augustine was around, he reads the Confessions, and Rousseau disagrees with um, Augustine's hmm. premises and the hmm. and Augustine's uh, he disagrees with the whole thing. But what he does is he copies him, hmm. so he writes his own confession. All right, and this is like when the really the idea of the autobiography started to take off. So, when Augustine did it, it didn't really take off. He was just the first one to do it. When Rousseau did it, now it it hmm. sparked this whole literary um, genre yeah, of yeah. writing your autobiography. Hmm. But what's interesting is you have two scenarios. I'm wondering if Rousseau copied um, Augustine, or if he's just or in, and made it up, and he's just lying, or if he actually really did have a similar situation. So here's here's what happens in Saint Augustine's Confessions. He talks about him and some buddies going to their neighbor's field, finding a pear tree, and they climb up in the tree and they knock all these pears down, and they and they tr- they taste them, and they weren't even they weren't even fully ripe, they weren't even good, mm-hmm. and they were laughing and having a, just cutting up and having a good time, and they took all these pears. And they went and they just threw them away. So they wouldn't get caught. They just threw them away. And now this, in our DNA, we think of pear trees, not a big deal, in somebody else's yard, because most people just let them rot and drop to the floor. But mm. in that day and age, you would save them all. You would eat them all. You would, you would, you know, put them in jars and you would can them and you'd do everything you could possibly do to preserve them, right? Because you sure. actually ate them. Right. So this was stealing. St. Augustine and his buddies were stealing and they, and then he was meditating in his confessions on why did I do that? Yeah. And what he's saying, he says is, I wasn't hungry. It, it wasn't greed. I wasn't just being greedy. Um, I wasn't being mean because we were laughing and cutting it up and, and, and there was a social dimension to it. Hmm. But 
and he says, and, and we were just wasteful. He's like, you know what? I did it because I enjoyed it. Hmm. Yeah. And he's, he's coming out of a Christian understanding of man. I'm a sinner before I sin. I'm in my nature. I am born in, in sin. And so I, I have a natural proclivity, like a magnet that, that's drawn to metal. I am drawn to sin. My heart wants to sin. And he says, that was wrong. That was sin. I, I, I did that. And it came from within me, right? Mm-hmm. Sin, as the Bible says, um, you know, desire gives birth to sin, right? And so it happened inside me. Now, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, in his confessions, he writes the story of, uh, about stealing, uh, what was it? It was, he was stealing some kind of vegetable. He was stealing some kind of vegetable. Um, and I'm trying to look it up here in this book, cause this is from the rise and triumph of the modern self. Uh, oh, asparagus. He was stealing from some of Verrett's mother, his friend's mother's asparagus so that, um, and they're trying to do it to sell it to make some money. I'm going to read this. Rousseau's account of his act of theft allows him to reflect in some detail on the psychology of what he was doing, and two things stand out in his analysis. First, he emphasizes that the motivation for the crime was not greed, but, quote, only to oblige the person who was making me do it. So he's saying, the only reason I did it is because my friend wanted me to do it. And so I was just being a good friend and going along with it. Oh, the victim. Oh, here we go. You're picking up on something. (laughs) Thus, the act was driven not by some inward impulse that was intrinsically sinful, but by a good desire that led him to perform a sinful act. Hmm. Okay? He stole the asparagus to help his friend. The desire was basically a good one. It was only the manner in which he fulfilled it that was morally problematic. Okay, so now you're beginning to see Rousseau's understanding of, oh, it was my friend... Who cor- if, he, if anything corrupted me, it was my friend who corrupted me. It, it doesn't come from in, inside him like Augustine's no. understanding does, right? But it comes from his relationship with his friend. Um, now, in his story, in Confessions, I'm going to read this to you from this book. Indeed, in the context of the Confessions as a whole, this story comes immediately after Rousseau's acquisition of numerous vices that were the, each the result of the social conditions in which he found himself. Hmm. His master treated him badly, hence he started lying and became lazy. His father punished him too harshly, and this made him both manipulative and covetous. covetous. Society or at least the society in which he found himself, is to blame for the young Rousseau's delinquency. Okay? So here we see Augustine blames himself because he's a sinner, right? And his sinful nature. And Rousseau blames everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the lie of, that's, this is where the lie of the modern self is coming from, and this is kind of how, it's, how it, it takes hold in a person's thought. Okay, Rousseau says, I was born basically good, and everything that's wrong with me is society's fault. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, listen to this from a 2018 article I just pulled up from CNN. Quote, we are hardwired for goodness. It's easier to recognize this fact when you think of children. Without mitigating factors, their innate goodness would not erode with age. Do you hear the lie of the oh, noble yeah. savage there? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So if you've got bad kids, mom, it's just your, it's your fault. Yeah, yeah. Dad, you screwed them up. Dad, it's your fault. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. One thing that bothers me about that 
is that there should be many things that bother well, you. Yeah. <laughs> Only so, one for Kev. You're so perfect, Kev. <laughs> no, 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 no. So first, you know, as I'm sitting here, this is of course intrinsic to psychology, right? Mm-hmm. Secular psychology, um, which rubs me the wrong way for a number of reasons. But one thing that really bugs me about this is that when you think about it, you're intrinsically good. Everyone else ruined you. And that lasts right up until you have kids. And then you ruined your kids. And so you are completely innocent and the, the, the victim up until you're the perpetrator. Oh, man. Mm. Good, yeah. good, good catch. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy, right? Because yeah. it, it, that could play into Marxism right there because there's only the victims and the victimizers. Right. There's yeah. no middle ground, yeah. right? You're one or the other. Yeah. Now, you can understand kind of where this is coming from in the sense that I think everybody's having to wrestle with this question of why is things so bad? And so here's Rousseau. He's looking at his life. He's, un- he's trying to understand, why am I doing the things that I am doing? He's seen, he obviously felt some conviction that the very things that he has seen are wrong in his life. He's trying to find a, he's trying to find a, why? What's, yeah. what's the core, what's the core at this? And yeah. of course, so there's conviction, interestingly enough. There's always going to be conviction because God made the world and God wrote yeah. the story yeah. and God's, God writes the law on the human heart and yeah. God, and and when you break commandments, you feel convicted over breaking commandments. Yeah, right. And, um, <clears throat> but, but, the w- but the way that even what you just said, like with talking about how when you, you know, you break a commandment, you feel conviction. This, the way the stories are being laid out, how you just played that out, it's like there's never going to be a conviction because you're always blaming someone else. Well, it's their yeah, fault. Right. So let me, let me uh, parse that out a little bit. So he's feeling convicted for his sin. He, yeah. he realizes he sinned, mm-hmm. but he's not repenting. He's not owning it. Okay. He's pointing outward and he's saying, you did this to me. Right. And so let's just, get, let's just go there. St. Augustine, notorious sinner, serial adulterer, or not adulterer, but uh, fornicator. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then he was convicted of his sin and then he repented of his sin and yeah. then he pursued God and mm-hmm. then he... He pursued holiness, and he became a brilliant theologian and, and one of the early fathers of the church, right? Yeah. Great, great story. Rousseau was a monster. Mm-hmm. Rousseau was an absolute monster. He w- had a brilliant mind, but he lived only for himself. He fathered four or five children. I can't remember how many. And he left them all at the door of the orphanage. No, no, no. First off, this is the better part. He wrote a book on parenting, t- telling everyone how to parent the best way. They're little noble savages. And then he left his children, all of them. On, and think, this is an 18th century orphanage here. Yeah. You know, this is, this is a, hor- this is a yeah, horrible man. This is a, man. Situation. This is a yeah. horrible man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just, just a, yeah. So I, I want you to see the lie of the noble savage. It is a lie yeah. and, it le- and it makes you more savage. Mm. <laughs> And it leads you to, hmm. it leads you to give into the flesh. That's what it leads hmm. you to. But that's the lie. I mean, you think about even our kids from a, a lower age is, you know, I did this because they did that. You yep. know, they believe that lie automatically. <laughs> and we talk about, you know, as you said in the beginning, it's like, you know, um, as they come into the world, everything else corrupts them to make them bad. Sure. You know, sure. and. Yeah. Oh, I mean, we're, so we like to blame. I mean, yeah. I mean. We saw that it, we see that in Genesis three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as soon as they're convicted of, uh, yeah. d- did you eat the apple? Did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat? This woman you gave it's me. this woman you gave me, yeah. and then she's like, "But it's the snake," you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. so we see that. So we have answers for that. Why that happens, mm-hmm. right? Um, but secular world, they just they're coming up with stuff, man centered answers, right? Yeah. So let me put this in pop culture 
lingo. Have you ever heard anyone talk about their inner child, right? Their inner child, that they're speaking about their psychological self as a child, usually that was inherently good and innocent until someone, probably a parent, wounded them. Dad didn't show up to pick me up one time for basketball practice or something or after school or mom yelled at me or my brother did this. Now, this is the lie of the noble savage. Not that anything, any of those things can't actually affect us and hurt us and wound us, right? But the lie is the inner self. And when I say that, I mean the psychological self, mm -hmm. okay? The inner psychological self is pure, it's good, and it's noble. And here's something else about it. It's inherently fragile. Mm -hmm. Because we're going to say it's not, it, it doesn't line up with reality, it's, it's, if anything doesn't line up with reality, it becomes incredibly fra fragile, right? If I jump off of a building, right. I become really, really fragile. Why? Because of gravity, because the natural world is built a certain way, right? right. If you build your life on lies, they're fragile. That's why Jesus said, if you don't build your life on him, yeah. any storm can knock you down, right? right? Because it's inherently fragile, mm. right? It's like your psychological self or this whatever, noble savage, the lie, it's like a flower that if you touch the petals, you destroy it. Mm -hmm. So delicate, <laughs> yeah. right? Think about it. I've just been given this baby and it's the psychological self is perfect and all I have to do is what? Just not damage it, mm -hmm. right? Now think about trying to parent a Jean-Jacques Rousseau that every time you tried to correct them or discipline them, he would turn around and say, well, you made me do it. The only reason I stole that was because your parenting made me do that. You know, he, he blamed everything on everyone, mm -hmm. right? Dad, you're so strict. That's why I punch my sister, <laughs> you know? That's why I do that. You're so strict. Now, yeah. I, I want to use that because have, have you ever heard a teenager say, say things like that before, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The only reason I'm rebelling, Dad, is because you make me go to church all the time. The only reason I'm rebelling, Dad, is because you make me, you know, mm -hmm. on and on and on, right? We, we, we do it all the time. Now, this is it. And Alex, you already picked it up. Rousseau was a perennial victim. Yeah. Just, he could never take ownership of his own sin mm -hmm. and grow out of it and repent of it. He was always at the mercy. Oh, it's everybody, it's society, it's everybody else's problems. And as Christians, we don't want to raise victims, right? right? And we don't want to raise, raise fragile kids. Yeah. yeah. Because the world, what does the world do to fragile kids? Eats them up. Smashes them. What does the world do to perennial victims? Gives them a platform right now. <laughs> Gives them a platform right now, absolutely. Gives them a platform, but it makes them miserable. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, another, uh, another report that just came out, a, a survey. It comes out every year. And it talks about right now, it's just the level of happiness, but it just measures the level of happiness between Republicans and Democrats. And Republicans are far superior in happiness just in their just in their their feelings of happiness than the democrats i would say one of the reasons the democrats are not happy is because they're perennial victims mm. their ideology is based on victimhood mm. they're always you know it's, they're, they're always everybody's a victim for their gender for their sex for whatever for mm. whatever it is and so we don't want to raise fragile kids we don't want to raise kids that see themselves as victims also a victim if you see yourself primarily as a victim you never repent. 
Yeah. You, you never ne- do anything wrong. Yeah. And you never ask God for help, right? Mm-hmm. So you can't be saved yeah. if you see yourself only as, yeah. as a victim. Yeah. 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 Now, is this, uh, and this may be going down a, a rabbit trail that we don't want to go down to, so you can, you know, you as the uh, host here can always uh, move us back, but is this the drive then for, uh, it, particularly I would say, uh, probably in our educational system, probably maybe in psychology, secular psychology, is that uh, we need to, we, we want the children know better than we do Ugh. kind of attitude. So that we're even into this whole thing, this whole sexual dysphoria that we've got going on here where they're always asking the children, what, who do you think you are? What, are you a male or are you a female? Is this, is this where this is coming from? I mean, oh, is this- 100%. Not mm-hmm. only, so this is where that's coming from. This is where the desire to separate the children from the parents. Hmm, sure. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, that makes sense. If that's the way you're looking at the world, yeah. you want one of those parents to mess things I up. I forgot the guy's name, but Dewey, I think his last name was Dewey, the guy that mm-hmm. um, invented the, the, the edu- our current public, education, yeah, public right, educational right, system right, in, right. in the United States yeah. that took us away from Christianity. Mm-hmm. He was building off of this idea. Mm-hmm. If we want to change society, we've got to change the kids. And the only way to change the kids is to separate them from parents mm-hmm. because parents are raising them in a patriarchal, um, mm-hmm. you know, Christian home. And they're coming up with these ideas now. And so if we're going to expand their horizons sexually, if we're going to expand their horizons in a more liberal fashion, we've got to come between the parents and the children. And then that's why you have the rise of the expert class. Mm -hmm. And the expert class, the psychologists, the child psychologists, all these different people that now will tell you how to parent. Mm. Even though if you look at their kids, their kids are miserable. <laughs> their yeah. kids are miserable and they're not, like who told, who made, just because you went to college, you think you can parent children? Yeah. Like we've been doing this for thousands of years, you know, and doing a better job. Yeah. So yes, that's okay. where that's come from. Okay. So again, let me get back to this. So yeah. we, we don't want to raise fragile kids. Now this is why, listen to this. Here's Proverbs fifteen ten. There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way, the way of Christ, the way of God. Whoever hates reproof will die. Mm. So God has set the world up in such a way that if you step off the path and you go, you forsake the way of God and you go your own way, whatever it is, you're going to receive severe discipline. And if you hate being reproved, then you're going to die. Like, Like that's the way God set the world up. So these you know, kids that grow up thinking that their feelings are right and they're pure and they're noble, if they follow those feelings, the way that in the way the way of man ends in death, right? There's a yeah. way that seems right to man, but that way ends in death, and that's what uh, we don't want to see those kids go that direction, right? right? And so we don't want to see our kids go that direction. So we don't want to raise the type of fragile kids that are always victims. So this would be a this would be a child who, if they're raised in, in this in this lie of the noble savage, if they are being in a sense, reproved or, or disciplined in the context, you know, out, out in the world at some point, it just crushes them. And they, 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 they don't learn from the discipline. They simply get crushed by that discipline and, you know, at best cry and try to look for somebody to save them out of that versus, you know, it, it, rather than responding to it in a, yes. positive, in a positive way. Yes. Wow. Okay. A coach yells at you, you, you yep. melt. You, know you go I mean? to a different team. You, you go, get a yeah, different and job. A, and again, it's the coach's fault. Mm. But yeah. so, so you're, you're super fragile and um, yeah, you're, you're, you're always super fragile and you're never learning. You're never receiving that, that, that criticism. Yeah. yeah right? not how teachable. much do we, how much do we learn? You know, I mean, how much do you think about it when you've been, when you've been told you're wrong and, and have to be told kind of in a harsh way, if you, how much, how many times we learn from that moment than when we think, when somebody tells me, 
oh, you're doing it all right. You're all fine. You're, you know, everything's fine. Everything's mm-hmm. fine. It's like, I'm not learning anything. When I, I learn most when, when I'm doing it the wrong way and somebody corrects yeah. me. And, and another common way of saying this is follow your heart. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Follow your heart yeah. because your heart is good. Yep. You're a noble, you know, you're noble. Like yeah. the heart is good. So just follow your heart. Yeah. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's awful advice. And we should <laughs> raise a red flag every time we hear it. Yeah. Our, the heart is desperately wicked mm. above all things. We should not follow our heart. Okay. All right. So let's debunk some of these lies found in the noble savage as it relates to parenting. Okay. Specifically. Um, First one, my child is born sinless and good. What does scripture say about that, Rob? We got Psalm uh, 51 verse five, which says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Okay. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So, David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, I've been a sinner since I was in my mother's womb. Yeah. Right? So it didn't, he didn't become a sinner when he, you know, slept with Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. Right? He was a sinner before that. Mm-hmm. So the Bible says that your child is not a blank slate that is holy and good. Yeah. Rather, the Bible says that folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Proverbs twenty two fifteen. So think about that. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Just follow your heart. Yeah. Into foolishness. Folly, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? So we have to debunk these lies that our mm-hmm. kids are hearing and all of their Disney shows and all of the stuff they're watching on TV and all the YouTube and any social media and at school. This follow your heart or even look inside your heart and find yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a lie. Lie number two. My child doesn't need me to discipline them, correct them, and train them in righteousness. They can basically figure it out on their own. This is many modern parents. They believe their child can pretty much figure things out on their own. So parents now, many parents today, all they're doing is providing food, providing shelter, sending them to school, and completely hands off and letting their, you know, letting the kids stay at home and watch TV, watch whatever they want, watch, do whatever they want. And they're just really hands-off parents. Well, this is what the Bible says, Proverbs 29, 15. A child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Hmm. A child left to himself brings shame to his mother. You know, Alex, you were were raised, you know, what happens when when boys are are left alone and they, they get to run the streets and do what they want? Oh, you start getting into all type of, you know, things that you're not supposed to get into. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. A yeah. child left to himself brings shame to his mother, yeah. scripture says. Yeah. Right? Now, here's the third one that I think uh, that is, that I've heard a lot of pushback on <clears throat> in our society. And that is spanking will damage my child. Mm. Spanking a child will damage them. Now, before I even get into this, I want to clarify there's a huge difference between spanking and any form of abuse or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. We're not yeah. talking about spanking in anger. We're not talking about just hitting and random stuff. We've talked about discipline previously on the podcast, so I'm not going to go into it there, but we're talking about biblical discipline here, yeah. b- biblical spanking here, okay? Mm-hmm. So one of the outworkings of the lie of the noble savage is that many parents today are afraid to spank their children. Now, they could be afraid of the state. In some European com- countries, it's it's banned. It's it's illegal. 
<clears throat> but there are many parents are just afraid to spank their child because they they've been told by secular psychologists that spanking damages a child's soul mm. or it teaches them to hit or it's abusive and and they're afraid that they're going to bring harm to their child's psyche by spanking them. But I think we got to bring up too even uh, the lie that a lot of parents believe believe is that you know I didn't like it when I was a kid, so they're not gonna like it. So I'm not gonna do it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? So so they so they believe I think that. That's the that, whole point. You're not yeah. supposed to like it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what you learn from it. <laughs> right. I don't want that anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, that's that's a good point. Yeah, you didn't like it. That's the whole point. Now, your parents might not have, might did a poor job. Sure, might have been. They might have been more abusive. They might have mm. done it in anger. Yeah. So that doesn't mean just throw the baby out with the bathwater. That means go back to the Bible and see what the Bible says and do it biblically. Yeah. So. <clears throat> I mean, listen how opposite. So we think, we say things like, well, if I love my child, how could I spank them? I don't want to bring harm to them. Listen to what the Bible says. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, mm. but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So we see the exact opposite in God's word. If you don't spank your child, yeah. you hate him. <clears throat> And if and the one the father that loves his son will be quick and diligent yeah. to discipline him, yeah. right? Why? Because it, to well, I'll, I'll get to that later. Now we also need to remember we are not wiser than God. Yeah. <laughs> God, our Father, disciplines us because He loves us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hebrews twelve says this. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? God says to us, "My son." Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whose father did not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Mm. Besides this, we have an earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Look, for the moment, all discipline seems painful yeah. rather than pleasant, but it later yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Yeah. yeah. So spank your sons because you love them and you want them to be holy and you want them to experience pain in the moment that will later yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Yeah. So if your yeah. child can't sit still in church, it's because their butt has not been whooped enough, Yeah. right? And they have not yielded the peaceful fruit of righteousness that mm. produces that. Yeah. And I think, too, if you don't know how to do that in a godly, loving way, I mean, don't be afraid to ask questions. Because, I mean, I, I think for a lot of people, we can read the Bible and we can thank whatever we want to think of, like, what it's saying. But ask your pastors, ask your elders of what it looks like yeah. um, to do that in, yeah. in a, in a so, loving way. love and pain are not opposite things. They're not antithetical to each other. Right. Right? I want to be the dad that brings the most ordered and structured pain into my child's life. Yeah. Why? Because I know as I'm weightlifting, ordered instruction pa and structured pain creates creates a future beast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what it does. Ordered and structured pain. What do I mean by that? Bench pressing, however much I can for five, you know, three by five. I'm my, the wake, I wake up the next morning and I'm sore. 
I brought yeah. pain into my life. Mm-hmm. I tore my muscles. Mm-hmm. The protein that I eat is going to fuel those muscles. It's and it's going to build my muscles. Yeah. I keep doing that years on years years on end, mm-hmm. and you become a beast, yeah. right? You become a strong. Like I'm using that. In a, in a positive way, positive <laughs> yeah, way, yeah. not a noble savage way, but yeah. you you become somebody who's strong, right? Yeah. And I want my children to be strong, anti fragile. We right. don't want fragile. We want strong children, mm-hmm. right? So we got to bring pain, ordered, structured pain into their life, whether it's doing hard things, whether it's discipline that yeah. we're talking about here. Fathers, mothers, we need to do that. And I think too, even I, I say bring that up to your pastors and ask those questions because it could look different at different stages of oh, yeah. life for your kids. Sure. I mean, yeah. you're not doing the same thing you did with your two year old with a 16 year old, you yeah. know, it would discipline wise. So oh, I yeah, think 100%. you might have to ask those questions. That's a great yeah. question. That's a great Definitely. thought to bring up because if you've failed to do this, um, you know, confess your sins, repent, repent to your children, but it's probably too late to start spanking your 16 year old. Yeah. You know, right. it's, it's, it's just too late. <laughs> it's too late. You, you've, yeah. you've missed, you've missed that. Um, and, uh, so this is something that you need to start with your, your littles, like, yeah. like right away. Yeah. Right like, away. Right, like right away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let me I, tell you, let me tell you a little story here. So when I was in elementary school, I don't remember what grade it was in. It was probably young first, second grade. I used to walk home from school. And so, uh, we weren't too far away from our farm elementary school, but we were, I was, uh, we, there was a major road that I had to cross. And, uh, one day I'm, Running, not thinking. I run across that road. Bus is coming. Slams on its brakes. My, we, I was close to home. My mom is just happened to be getting out of uh, getting out of her car from getting to the grocery store. She looks up there. She she hears and she sees her son who is going to be plowed over by this bus. Thankfully, I wasn't. You know, and so. So anyway, well, she you was scared the bus driver to death. I scared, scared everybody. Your mom right, to right, death. right, right. So I get all. I get home. I come down home. My mom says, "You will never do that again, right? If you do, I'm going to spank you." You know, kind of a thing. I prob- probably said something of that nature. So what happens? I don't know. Maybe the next day. Probably a couple, maybe a couple days later. My mom's waiting this time. She's waiting where I don't see her, and I'm running down the street. You know, running down the sidewalk. And I cross the street. Don't look. That's what she told me. She said, "You need to look. Yeah, yeah. You look, need to look, look both, both ways, ways before you cross the street." Well, I don't do that, you know. I run across the street, and mom is waiting for me. So guess what she does? She spanks me. Oh yeah. You know, and it, but I, I needed that. I mean, I I didn't learn my I didn't learn my lesson by you know you think a child would learn their lesson by almost getting hit by a bus, and, you know, and all that goes that. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't learn. This is why, Rob. This I, is why. Okay. Folly is bound up it, it in the heart of a child, <laughs> yeah. but the yeah. rod of discipline yeah. drives it far from oh, him. Oh, it did. Proverbs did it drive 15. <laughs> it, drove, it drove it right you out of me. Time. I tell you what, uh, yeah, never. Is. I look. It's amazing how uh, your gluteus maximus can be connected to your brain oh, and your yeah. eyes. Yep. And it actually causes you to look around it now. Really yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah. Okay, so, so there it is. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. How do you get that folly out of your child? The rod of discipline drives it far from him, yeah. okay? Here's another one, the rod and reproof. So not just the rod, but the words, correction, mm. instruction, the rod and reproof. Look, give wisdom. Teach your child how to be a wise, a wise person. But a, child, or, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Mm. Do you see that? So it's connecting discipline, and you don't just leave a child to himself. You have to discipline the child. You got to stop overlooking everything, mom and dad. If you don't like that language, if you don't like that attitude, yeah, discipline it, discipline it. All right. Uh, another one, Proverb twenty nine seventeen. This is a good one. Moms, listen to this. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. 
Sometimes, moms, you are stressed out because you are not disciplining your son. And he's running wild, or daughter, running wild all over the house, and you are exhausted and worn out because either you or dad are not disciplining your son. Let me tell you a little story that we've got. We've had, since our kids were little, um, when we were learning how to discipline, this is what usually happens. You discipline well, and, and the kids, wow, amazing. The kids behave. It's going good. All right, this is great. And then you get lazy. You get lax. You get, you know... You start oh, a little, little back talk here, a little back talk there. Oh, now I got to argue before they do the dishes. And you just, you just, you get undisciplined yourself yeah. in, in disciplining them. Mm-hmm. And then, so me and Amanda, we created what we call Hell Week. And we're like, and it, we've, we called it Hell Week, but then we quickly realized that it, it's actually usually is only like hell 24 hours or hell two hours. Yeah. And what we do in Hell, hell Week is, <laughs> Now we're going to discipline every single act of disobedience. Yeah, no tolerance. No tolerance. First back talk, go to my room. Mm-hmm. First, first back talk. Now, kids are smart. So as soon as they realize, oh, there's no, like, they're expecting speedy obedience, mm-hmm. cheerful, speedy obedience right away. Then they become suck ups. Wow. <laughs> and they, but it's fun. Guess what? Uh, the house is a whole lot nicer. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we tell our children, see, this is what we want. We yeah. want fellowship in the home. We want a happy home. We want you and your brothers and sisters and getting along. We want it to go well for you. We want blessing for you. This is what life in the kingdom of God is like when we're quick to repent of our sins. And so what we found is we were going to do hell week and we were going to do that. It ended up only being a couple hours because the kids got it really quick Mm -hmm. and then they, they behave. So we have to, uh, yeah, so we need to do that. So discipline in your son and he will give you rest. He'll give delight to your heart. Mm -hmm. All right. I think this is my last one, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Last one, last lie from this noble savage is my child must, uh, scarecrows here, discover their true inner psychological self. Mm. Okay, so some parents were afraid to discipline because we don't want to harm their psyche. We don't harm their, this little, you know, person that's inside of them this little psychological self. And we've already brought it up that you, you brought it up that yeah, this, didn't realize it. Yeah. the, the, um, that, that psychological self has now been sexualized. Yeah. So with Freud, Freud said that your inner self is, you got this, all these desires and it's sexualized and then it's been politicized now. So we had a man. I don't know if you saw this, this last week, we had a biological man who 200 and something days ago decided he was going to be in his words, a glittery, girl. Okay. He's, I don't know how old he is, but he's, looks like he's in his late twenties or thirties or something. He decides he's going to be a glittery girl. So he doesn't, he's not, he doesn't say he's a woman. Say he's a glittery girl Mm. with still all of his man parts. Dylan Mulvaney. I just remembered his name. Well, guess what? Our, the most powerful man on the face of the planet, our sitting president, president Joe Biden invited him to the white house and had a sit down conversation with this glittery so-called girl who's actually a man okay so this person and this guy this guy's a famous tiktoker he went in himself he was gay before that he went in himself found him oh his real self is a glittery girl that's his real self right that he found there and now he expects the world to acknowledge that and to uh, adjust itself accordingly. Mm. Okay, that is a lie. Mm. That man has a mental health disorder. Mm. He has a mental health disorder, mm. and it's cruel, 
and a lie to say anything else. But I think the biggest issue, too, in that, I mean, not only there's a lot of different issues in that, but also, like, <laughs> at the highest level, if you do something wild or not to the norm, you're almost getting applaud mm. for it yeah. every single time. Yeah. And it makes everyone else want to do and go on their inner self yeah. and so, do that. Yeah, they're going in there and they're finding Furby, furries or whatever they're finding down in there. They're, they're saying they're, people are thinking they're animals. People are thinking they're vampires. People are thinking they're the opposite gender. They're gay. They're queer. They're, they're all these different things. Guess what? If you go down in there, it's a swamp. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the human heart is desperately yeah. wicked. You yeah. go down in there, you're going to find confusion. In chaos. Well, see, I went into my inner self, <laughs> and I found out I'm a billionaire, and I'd like everybody to acknowledge hey, we got that. A building please. campaign. Yeah. Rob Hellas out. <laughs> That's what I'm finding. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, if you do find some of that cash, we do have a building campaign. Okay. <laughs> okay. So let me just say, this is a lie mm. from the pit of hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Pit of hell. But it is so ubiqu- ubiquitous in our society that it has become one of the most foundational ways people talk about their identities yeah. or their self. Right, listen, parents, mm. you are meant to teach your children who they are. Mm-hmm. Kids are not meant to find out from within themselves. They don't come and tell you who they are. You're meant to tell them who they are. Yeah. Like one of the things my dad taught me was every time I'd go somewhere, he'd say, Now, my dad didn't do a great job of teaching me who I was, but he would say this statement all the time Remember who you are and who you represent. Mm-hmm. Remember yeah. who you are and who you represent. And I, but I, I knew I was a man, yeah. <laughs> I knew I was a dean. Yep. I knew I was a Christian, mm-hmm. and I knew I was supposed to represent my family and my faith yeah. wherever I was at, right? Mm-hmm. I, I knew that. We're meant to teach our children this, yeah. right? And, and the thing is, if you don't teach your uh, kids, someone else will. And, like, every kid almost has a, a phone in their hand. And they have TikTok, they have Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever it is. And if you're not having these conversations, even though you may think they know— you may think they know how to build friendships. You may think they know how to live in community. All they think, they, they still need to be taught. Yeah. And if we're that. not, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Our kids need to be formed. They need to yeah. be taught. They don't. They don't. And we need to teach them it over and over and over and over again. And <clears throat> now, it's okay for you to say, our family doesn't do that. Boom, everybody's family. I know. You're not in their family. Yeah. The Tates don't do that. Yeah. Right? No, this we have these family rhythms. We have these family values. Mm-hmm. We are hardworking people. Yeah. We're we're not foolish people. Like it's okay to do that. And guess what? You are a man. You look you look at your daughters. You are a woman. You were yeah. created in the image of God. Yeah. That's your identity. Mm-hmm. Right? And many parents are even afraid of pushing scare quotes again, their faith onto their children. And they say things like, Well, I just want my children to choose to believe on their own. Mm. I'm just going to leave it up to them. And the, First off, you're, you're teaching secularism. You're pushing secularism on your child right there. That just basically says that religion is a smorgasbord that anybody can choose whatever one that looks best. Like you go to Ryan's Steakhouse and you want that and that and that. Well, that's a lie. Yeah. There's only one true God, and that's the God of Christianity. Mm-hmm. So you've already, you're already lying to your ch- child. But we are meant to enculturate our faith in such a way that our children pick it up and take it and run with it. So can you speak to that a little bit more? Because, I mean, there's even people now that are just like, well, God saved me. Like, look where I'm at, you know, and I did way worse things. It's not that big of a deal. Can can you speak to that a little bit? So that's true. God can save you in spite of terrible parenting. Yeah. That is not God's normative way of saving people. 
God's normative way of saving people is through the discipleship from their parents. Yeah. Like that's what God says. Fathers, disciple your children, right? Mm -hmm. Fathers, raise your children up Mm -hmm. in the fear and an admonition, the education, the padea of the Lord, right? That's what he says. We're, We're called to disciple our children. So we want our children to pick up the baton of faith. Yeah. And we, we should expect it. So our children should be, we should, when we teach them the faith and they can say, I, I believe in Jesus and I trust in Jesus, then we should look at our children and say, you're a Christian. Yeah. You're a man made in the image of God and you're a Christian, or you're a mm-hmm. Christian boy, you know? Yeah. And we're raising you as a Christian boy. That is your identity. That yeah. is who you are. Yeah. And mm-hmm. nobody can take that from you. Mm-hmm. Now, people would say, oh, you know, people push back on that. Well, you're only a Christian because your dad was a Christian. You were raised a Christian. Yes. So what? So what? <laughs> like, the dumbest, who yeah, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis called that bulverism. Mm-hmm. Bulverism, hmm. where you 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 point out the reason somebody got there, but you don't actually deal with the argument at all. Like, yeah. you know, and you can say it. The reason you love guns is because you're American. Yes. Okay. Yeah. The gospel was presented to <laughs> yeah. you. I live in a place where you're all the time. Is, is it obvious? Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. you're, and you can say it to anybody. Yep. The reason you're a secular liberal is because you went to that school. Yep. You know, like you were raised in a secular liberal home. You went to that school. Like yep. that doesn't change anything. So, but we, what's interesting is they'd push back against that, right? They said, "No, no, no. I'm I'm informed." So it only works one way. Yeah. Oh, I see. And I would say, oh, oh, I'm plenty informed as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let, let's sure. talk. Let's talk about information. If you yeah. want to talk about information? For let's sure. talk about information. <clears throat> so, I don't want my kids to be saved in spite of my parenting. Yeah. I want my kids to be saved through yeah. my parenting. In one sense, you know, the mm-hmm. means of grace, right? God's grace is. And I think too, like I mean, even a lie in that is like so many parents are are believing that this big thing is going to happen for my kid to be saved. Like, yeah. no, it's it's in the midst of. The everyday hard work, we talked about bricklaying, right? The the bricklaying every single day of the hard work of being faithful to God and walking um, and and living out the life um, God has called us to live. Yeah. So we got a a long one here that I want to just show us. Listen how Solomon, Solomon writes um, Proverbs and he's writing to his son. And I just want to listen how Solomon instructed his son in his identity, in his faith, and in how he should live his life. Um, I just think it's really formative. First off, he just says, my son, like immediately, my son. Like there's, that's an identity forming statement, right? Mm-hmm. You're mine and you're a son. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. this is who you are. There yeah. is no inner self that, I, that I'm gonna wait for you to reach a certain age so you figure out who you are. Mm-hmm. This gender theory is ridiculous. My son, do not forget my teaching, right? Yeah. He, he's teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments. Again, more, we want it more than just obeying the law. I want you to love it. Let your heart keep my commandments. Yeah. Look, for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. He's like, my son, I want you to obey God's word and love God because if you do it, it's going to go better for you. Yeah. Like, this is the good life. Yeah. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. So bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. Like, no God, he's saying. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and men. You, you follow God and, and it's going to go well for you. You're working yeah. with the grain of the universe. I love it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart mm-hmm. and do not lean on your own understanding. <laughs> You're going to have some crazy thoughts. Don't trust him. Go back to the word of God. Yeah. Go back to God. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. 
It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So he's like, you're going to be out there making money. You better give some of that back to God. Honor God with your wealth and he'll, he'll make it keep coming. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as the father, the son, in whom he delights. So this is what's quoted there in Hebrews. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. So he's saying, I'd rather you be wise than rich. She's more Wisdom is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. If you live wise, typically you'll have a longer life. And in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are the ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. See, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. So this is the way, the Lord made the earth in wisdom. So when the wise live on the earth and live according to the way God mm -hmm. made the world, it usually goes well for them, right? Yeah. right? Foolishness doesn't work on, in the long term. I'm looking to see where I'm at right there. Oh, by his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, again, he's my son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion and they will be your life for your soul and adornment for your neck. They're going to give you the good life. Then you will walk on your way securely and your feet will not stumble if you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. When you walk in wisdom, you can sleep good at night. Yeah. When you yeah. make foolish mistakes, right, we know that keeps you up at night. Mm -hmm. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Mm -hmm. God's there for you, brother or son. God's there for you. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it. When you have it with you, so let your let your yes be yes and your no be no. And if, if when somebody comes ask you for help, if you can give it to them, do it. Be a good man. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence. Do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord. So don't go that way. But the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. So he's like, son, when you go out there and you build your house, the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked. Don't be wicked, yeah. but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. See, this is parenting. I mean, in just that one chapter, how many different topics is is Solomon yeah. instructing his son on? Yeah. Right? Wisdom, 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 wisdom. Choose the right path. Follow God. Love God. Do the right thing. Listen, we've talked about this. God tells us that our children are meant to be arrows in the hands of warriors, right? We're meant to shoot them out into the world. We're preparing them. We're, we're creating those arrows, and they're meant to be shot out into the world to do damage to the devil's kingdom and to build God's kingdom, right? If we are going to raise God-fearing Christian kids who are not fragile, they're not perennial victims, but they're dangerous mm -hmm. 
anti-fragile kids that are straight and they fly true. We have to do it God's way. We have to reject, you know, pop psychology and stuff like the lie of the noble savage. Yeah. Any other thoughts from you guys? Wow. There's a lot there in there. (laughs) (laughs) There is a lot there. But the encouraging thing is, and I I was just thinking a little bit earlier when you said that we want to raise our children in... And, you know, the, the way that God has said, the, the means that he has, that we can know that God is on our side. If we will apply ourselves to these things, God is for us. He will help us uh, in, you know, in our, in, our, we, in our slowness, in our, you know, not always the best parenting. He will, if we're, we're applying ourselves to yeah. it, God is for us. And that's, a good, that's good news for us. Yeah, so that's the lie of the noble savage. I'm sure you're going to hear this. Uh, people say things in missional community, in Fight Club. Um, and so maybe that'll give us some language to use. Like when, when a parent's talking like, like this, the kids need to follow their heart or I don't really want to, you know, I'm really worried about, you know, damaging them or, mm-hmm. or, you know, things like that, uh, or spanking's violent or something yeah. like that, that we have maybe some terminology now to push back on that. So what's a, uh, I mean, that was great hope that, uh, Rob just said, but what's, what's some hope that you can give uh, parents that are just hearing this and they're just like, how do I onboard onto this greatness that I just heard? about disciplining yeah. my kids, loving my kids well, and to be a great father and a mother. Yeah, so first off, I would say reach out to one of us pastors, and we would love to have a meeting and help navigate your your challenges mm-hmm. that we're at different stages. Rob's got all adult children now, and I've got, I'm in the mi- middle of it. I've got teenagers and all the way down to 18 months, so um, we can help you. And so I, it's, it's really hard just to, you know, apply something to somebody over a podcast because everybody's at different stages of life. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to look different for, for different people. But if you want like general stuff, you could go back through the podcast episodes. And I, I think we've got some specifics on, on discipline somewhere, uh, and on parenting. So you can go back and listen to it. And also just to whet your appetite, uh, this winter. So the new year, I think it's in February, Mm -hmm. we're doing a parenting conference. So we're going to be hosting a parenting conference and, um, so we're we're excited to be to be doing that, and so you'll be you can find out more there too. So, awesome. Anything else, guys? All right. Well, hopefully this was a blessing to you. If you got any questions, please email me, Justin Dean at SacredCityChurch.com. We love you. We're praying for you, and God bless. Mm-hmm.